The word Genesis means uh, beginning. So it's the book of beginnings, and it's the account of our universe from the Holy Spirit through the living word of God to humanity. This is the book of beginnings. It's generally ascribed to Moses being the recipient of the inspired text and preserving the text because God gave him the law of God and giving him the law. This record's put together. These five books are known collectively, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as the Pentateuch or the law, the five books of Moses. And then you get Joshua comes after that, considered the historical book. So these five books are noted in the overall historical books that have all the history before you get to the poetic books and then the prophets. These particular five are called the Pentateuch or the law. And this particular one, of course, is Genesis. And it's the book of beginning. So as we come to Genesis tonight, we read the first five verses. So let's look at these. And then there's a couple other verses we're going to look at, and then we'll, we'll survey part of the chapter as well. So this is the history of creation, and this is what we're told. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. In surveying, we know that there's six days of creation. And the first distinction was light and darkness on the first day of creation. And there's morning and night, so evening and morning. So these are little days. These are not ages like some people like to conjecture or project falsely and incorrectly, I would say. But they're literal days. God made the universe in six literal days. We need to understand that because that's his revelation to us, and that's what true science supports as well. In these six days, it begins with light and darkness where God draws a distinction. And, you know, throughout the Bible, there's a distinction. And God drew this distinction. And on this distinction the first day, it's interesting because in the Gospel of John, it says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and, the, and uh, all things, nothing was made that was made was not made without Him, and that He is the light, and Him is light, and Him is the light of men, that's the life of men. It's very interesting that when Jesus Christ came into the world in the Gospel record of John, it starts out almost identical to Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And that's how John's gospel starts out in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, running parallel to this first day of creation of light and darkness and distinction. And in the gospel of John, it draws the distinction between not physical light and darkness, but moral light and darkness, where it goes on to say that in John chapter 3, Jesus said, men love darkness so they don't come to the light lest their deeds be exposed. And so we understand that it sheds light on interpreting these first few verses of the first day of creation because this is literal light and darkness being separated in time, space, and matter, our universe as we understand it. But there's a greater representation there of the moral light and darkness in volitional will and choices of not only angels from a previous and outside dimension, but humanity who's the crown jewel of this dimension. The second day of creation was the separation of the waters, the firmaments, the heavens, the atmospheric stuff. That's uh, through verse 8. Then the third day of creation was the land from the water, verses 9 through 11, we see that God testifies there that everything he made was good. God saw that it was good. And then in the fourth day of creation was the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars. And you might say, well, well, what was the light for three days since God made light and darkness? God is the light. God is light and there's no darkness at all. When we get to heaven, the new heaven and the earth, there's no sun because his presence is the light. 
He's the light that's the greatest light. And even as the sun was the greater light for the day and the moon, the lesser light for the nighttime, it's pretty symbolic of the church because Jesus is the greater light. He said, I'm the light of the world. And he said, we're the light of the world. And as the moon reflects the sun, it's the same thing that we are because we are his light. Literally, that's what Jesus said. The sun, the moon, and all the stars. So everything out there in outer space, the macro universe, as the universe is expanding and losing energy, and we'll get more of that in Genesis 3, but all the macro to the microscopic world, all this order and design, but particularly on the fourth day, the universe and the supernovas and black stars, just black holes and all these things, our sun, and just it's incredible what God made. So from looking at a microscope, what God made in the microscopic world to the outer, who knows, maybe just goes on and on linear, but the Lord knows we don't. Then the fifth day was uh, was the birds and the sea creatures. So that's verses 20 through 23 on the fifth day. And again, God said everything was good and he blessed them. And so the evening and the morning was the fifth day. Now, then in verse 24, we get part one of day six. That's the insect world, mammals, reptiles, everything. All made the first part of the day. So God made all these on the first part of the day. And he spoke these things into existence. And this is a distinction of humanity, men and women. Because in verse 26, we read, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So the the last thing God made in creating the universe was you and I, humanity. Our father, Adam, who's the head of our race, and Eve, who came from Adam, who's the head of the female portion of our race. And they're the first two human beings by design and order. And God actually formed them. He, He made them. He spoke the other, all other creation existence. So when you look at the animal kingdom, reptiles, Again, mammals, dinosaurs, all of it, everything. He spoke those things into existence, but they do not have the capacity, the cognitive capacity to know God, to respond to God volitionally volitionally to his will and to worship him and obey him. That is for men and women because he says here in verse 26 that we are made in his image. And we read on in verse 26, now verse by verse. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth. Every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. These first two chapters of Genesis as well, are the most beautiful chapters in the Bible in one sense because there's no sin. There's no effect of sin. The universe isn't dying and under entropy, the law of entropy at this point. There's no viruses in the cellular structure on our planet. There's no death. Death is not entered in. There is no death on the planet in these first two chapters. Everything is good, and God is life and light. So death is not to be associated with God other than him giving his son to die for us, to redeem us from the death our head of the race, Adam brought on all of us when he sinned. For in Adam all sin and all die. Okay, so this is really important to understand historically, accurately, and theologically. Because 
Adam is the head of the race, and sin came through him. So this is all good. Now, the last two chapters of Revelation of the Bible are very good, too, because it's a restoration. When we think about what was lost in the garden when sin comes in, we'll cover more of this when we get to chapter 3, but what was lost, it was a perfection, a perfect man and a perfect woman without sin, where their choices were all the right choices, and they were eating from the tree of life, which was the right choice with the Lord, and they were staying away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was the choice of rejection and rebellion that we all understand in our own lives in science of observing humanity. And they were making the right choices. Well, in the last two chapters of the Bible, the tree of life is restored. Everything's made whole and restored. But it's interesting if you think about this, and this is something to put over creation as we're studying creation, is that when Jesus comes back a second time, he restores all things. There's the millennial reign of Christ, and then there's the new heaven and new earth. And how it all plays out, people have disputes over. But this much we know, when it's all said and done, there's no more tears and sorrow. So sin and its consequences are removed. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. And it's the place of God's presence. And it's, it's the place of it's heaven. It's the assembly of the righteous redeemed by Jesus Christ through faith in him. What we might think is, we might say, oh, so what's lost in this first chapter is restored. But that's not really the right perspective. You see... God taught me this a couple of years ago when we drove across country. I had a tragic accident outside Flagstaff where we hit a deer. It was a horrible experience. And our car was so damaged. And that's not why it was horrible. It was horrible because it was just a horrible experience. But our car, we drove across country. It was all, it was just so destroyed. And everyone, people were like, you hit a deer. And then we got to Florida. We couldn't drive it home and we had to send it back. And it went to a repair place here in Huntington Beach over there off Gothard. And the repair bill for AAA was over six grand to restore our Highlander. And when we got our Highlander, it looked like the original, you know, our Highlander is a, you know, it's a newer model. And when we got the Highlander, it looked like, wow, man, it, you know, it looked, it looked like it never had all the damage that it had. But it did have the damage, and it was repaired. And that's not what God's going to do with the new heaven and new earth. He doesn't repair a damaged Highlander and make it look good from a body shop. He gives us a new heaven and a new earth that's better than the old one. And that's something that we receive by faith. So as good as this is, a naked man, a naked woman without shame in a perfect marital situation with God, as beautiful as this is, oh, what's coming is better. It's elevated. Because even Jesus said, have you not read? And then he talked about how in heaven they're like angels. And he exalts that as being higher than the human experience in these earthly bodies. These temporal bodies. These corruptible bodies. These mortal bodies. It's a higher. As beautiful as this is. Isn't this a beautiful chapter? Because you know there's chapters you don't like in the Bible. I mean there's just chapters I don't like. There's chapters where God has to deal out judgment. And his judgment's righteous and perfect. There's chapters where people do very evil things. And you almost can't even believe it's in the Bible, except what my pastor, Brian Burson, taught me years ago is the Bible is brutally honest about the human experience. And there are some very brutally honest, evil things that are recorded for us in the historical record of the Bible that I just, I try and read them quickly. I just don't like to read some of the evil things that people did in the Bible. But this chapter, it's a beautiful chapter. Because everything's good. Everything is good. Everything is good in this chapter. Now, we know Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. 
So before this even began, he's already set apart as the Lamb of God. But it's, it's all good. He's like the safety net. He's like the bullpen for humanity. He's going to come in and save the day. But right here, it's all good. And there's only a few chapters where it's all good. There's a new heaven and earth, new earth coming. And this is the dawn of creation. And this is God's record. So now, let's look at some things here. This is the origin of time, space, and matter, which we exist in. We're in time, we are in space, and we are matter. Although from the dust we came and the dust will return, which is the consequence of sin in the sense of the breakdown molecularly of our bodies and whatnot. But this is the history of creation. So in the beginning, now we all have a beginning. You had a beginning when you were a single cell in your mother's womb at conception. And man can try and manipulate how conception takes place, right? Through modern science and whatnot. That's for God to figure out. But in the beginning, when God designed the universe and did the six days, the intelligence in the cells of plants, animals, and humans is absolutely incredible. And in your beginning, you did not exist before your conception. But at conception, you existed. Because in that one cell that is you, it's only you. And all the millions of details of the DNA that makes up you who you are, that's just you. You're you. And as David said in Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's no one like you. Now, when Paul preached to the Athenians, he said, God determined our days and seasons when we would live and our boundaries. So God literally knew the ethnicities of which of the three sons of Noah we would come from as descendants, but all of us ultimately through Adam, but one of the three sons of Noah and those families we come from. And that one cell was all there. Your gender, was determined in that one cell, your, your color of your eyes, and each cell just reproduced. It's incredible, the master of the universe, like the master watchmaker, how each cell just reproduced and reproduced. And we study the life of a baby in the womb in the first trimester, the second and the third. It's incredible what's going on and the design and order there that's just so, it's unbelievable, just the details. But you have a beginning, and on that beginning, God not only made you who you are as one cell, but within that cell, he gave you the reproductive capabilities to produce additional human beings, which is amazing. Not only in the one cell is the design and order there to produce the one human being from that one cell, but within that one cell is the, t- the intelligence and design that that human being can produce future human beings from what's in the one cell of who the cell is. That's our God the God of details. No wonder Jesus could say that he knows the hairs on our head. And when the sparrow falls to the ground, he's not unaware of it, but he knows the details. When speaking to Job and other places, of the, celest- the constellations and the planets, he just said, were you there when I formed this and I formed that? When he promised Abraham promises to bless him, he said, look at the stars. And you know, like every detail of his universe and time, space, and matter comes from this beginning But all of this time, space, and matter is really focused on you, humanity, you and I. All this was made by God, all that we see, so that he could show love to us and we could be the recipients of that love and we could return that love, that we could reciprocate that love to him. Isn't that amazing? Because you might lose that in this record. It is love because God is love in his essence that brought this to pass. Now, so in the beginning, you have a beginning. This church had a beginning. 
our country had a beginning. This universe, time, space, and matter had a beginning, and this is that beginning. Now, there's only two possible worldviews to have on a beginning. Either God began, just like he says here, outside of our dimension, or as the Darwinists believe, that out of nothing came everything from a big bang, and out of disorder, somehow through mutating elements over enough time, and they had to keep adding millions of years in the last hundreds of years to their theories, which most of them don't even agree on, that out of that disorder comes order, and there's an upward movement, of course, known as evolution. But know this, if you study ancient civilizations, and how's this for archaeological evidence? If you study ancient civilizations, you won't find one that has the so-called Darwin chart progressive evolution that we were force-fed in our books going through high school in the 70s. What you will find in almost every historical people group is the belief in one person being the head of the race. And you will also find the belief that there was a flood of some sort of judgment upon their people group. And you will also find drawings with dragons. In almost every ancient people group, you will find the belief in a one-person origin, a judgment flood, local or large, and human beings with dragons, which dinosaurs were called until about 200 years ago, by the way. It's only in the last 200 years where these evil, demented men have put forth these damnable philosophies, atheistic, agnostic, Christ, God-rejecting men, whose theologies and philosophies have been used for the two greatest world wars and much of the totalitarian, authoritarian governments we've seen in the last 150 years justified the eradication of various people groups. Those philosophies fit well if you want to wipe out people by the millions, whether you're fascist, Soviets, Bolsheviks, or Camarouge, or anything of the likes. Secular humanism embraces these beliefs because it justifies one set of human beings lording over another. Whereas the gospel of Jesus Christ elevates women, it elevates humanity, and don't forget, it's a belief from creationists who have brought all the great things in our society in this country. The hospitals, education, equal rights, all those things have been moved by people who understand the gospel, either U.S. citizens or British citizens, like William Wilberforce, who took down slavery. It was people who believed the biblical record of our origin and the, and the beginning of the universe that we're part of with time, space, and matter and the value of each human being in this universe of time, space, and matter by the God who spoke it into existence and then formed man and formed the woman from the man. There's only two worldviews. They both require faith, of course. But know this, in our biblical worldview, we have the Holy Spirit confirming the truth. We know that God's character doesn't allow for him being the author of death, so that's really easy to figure out that that's just never going to merge. So theistic evolution, which is trying to merge these worldviews, it deludes the power of the church, and it never convinces an atheist to be a believer. It's ridiculous. It might be conjured up by well-intending men, but it never produces good fruit. There is no current record whatsoever observable science of evolutionary theory in place on this planet, and there is no archaeological record of evolutionary theories in place on this planet. There, should, there are millions and millions of fossils, but you never see a dat and a cog. You see a dog or a cat. You never see anything 
these demented men come up with one fossil and try and say that that's proof of evolution. There are millions of fossils, and they confirm that God made each thing after its own kind, and it was good. Do not be deceived by false doctrine. It takes more faith to believe that a rock came to life than that God who's outside the universe spoke it into existence. Much more faith. But either one requires faith because it's your origin, and your origin shapes your worldview. But please, in Jesus' name, do not make the mistake of trying to merge the two. It's one or the other. They are diametrically opposed to each other. They're as different as light and darkness. So don't be duped. First 11 chapters of Genesis, Genesis are the most attacked chapters of the Bible. Because the devil knows if you can undermine the foundation of creation, you don't need redemption in Jesus Christ. See, in Adam all sin and died, and Jesus came for sinners who are condemned in Adam. And in the genealogy of Jesus Christ through Luke's gospel, through the Virgin Mary, where does it end? It ends with Adam because he's the second Adam. So you see, if the biblical record that we just read here is not correct, then Christ didn't need to come and die for our sins. But in Adam, all sin and all die. Adam is the author of death in the universe. Adam brought chaos to the universe, and we're all affected by it. Thus, we all die. We're born spiritually dead. We are facing physical death, and without faith in Jesus Christ, we're headed for eternal death. In Adam, all sin and die. And that is why Christ came. That's why there's the promise in Genesis 3 of the Messiah to come, the first promise. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. There is no other way. The second Adam died for all those who are condemned with the first Adam, which is all humanity. This is really important because this last generation, critical thinking is lacking profoundly amongst the young people. Church is a fun, cool place with groovy things and fun songs and touchy-feely stuff. In the last days, there's a great falling away with a great deception with deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And of all the doctrines of demons, there's none more diabolical than trying to describe to our Heavenly Father the character of Darwinism. Because God is good, and in Him is no darkness at all. Death is darkness. And the belief systems of Darwinism are survival of the fittest, completely contrary to what we read in this chapter. So you can choose one or the other, and they both require faith, but I like the fruit that I see from people who choose Jesus Christ and the creator of the universe and the fruit of those people for the last 2,000 years in making this planet a better place, as opposed to the fruit of Darwinist evolutionists and the fruit they've produced with ideologies of governments that have just brought death and chaos upon this planet for the last 150 years. Plus, we have all the facts. Theirs is pseudoscience. Ours is real science. Don't be confused. And of course, most of you know that most of the founding fathers of all the critical sciences were all six-day creationists. The devils worked so hard to try and set this next generation up to think they got Jesus and they came from a lucky rock. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Jesus is the necessary redeemer because we are born sinners through Adam, for in Adam all sin and die. Now, God, in the beginning, God exists outside time. Now, God is triune. We see this. This word, God, is Elohim. It's a Hebrew word meaning more than one within one. It's literally translated gods in other parts of the Bible, but the context makes it clear it's God. Now, there's like God Almighty, El Shaddai, and then there's Yahweh, the Lord, which is your uppercase L-O-R-D in your Bible. But here the word, the very first introduction of God in the Bible is this word Elohim as opposed to El, like El Shaddai, God Almighty, and the various other Els. God introduces himself to us in historical record in his triune nature. The second verse we see is the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the earth. So the Holy Spirit 
who brings people to faith in Jesus Christ is mentioned distinct from Elohim in verse 1, in verse 2. Then we're told in verse 26, God speaking within himself, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So again, this is, God's not talking to the angels. We're not made in the image of the angels. We're, we're made in the image of God. This is important to understand. Now, we just finished Colossians, and we saw in Colossians, all things are made by Christ and for Christ. In him all things consist and are held together. Nothing was made that was not made by Jesus Christ. The infinite nature of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all declared in the Bible. The omniscience, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the omnipresent. Those attributes are distinctly ascribed to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible in different places. For example, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're told the Father resurrected Jesus Christ. We're told the Spirit resurrected Jesus Christ. And Jesus said he raised himself up. God is triune in nature. There are many triune verses. Now, historically, some cults and uh, different aboriginal Christian groups would say, well, God spoke as a father in the Old Testament, as Jesus on earth, and then the Holy Spirit, that he revealed himself three different times in different ways. That's not true. See, God is a father, son, Holy Spirit, triune in nature outside of our dimension. And just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's, it's not true. He is who he is. What do you say to Moses, the burning bush? I am that I am. I am who I am. You could say Joey's not blonde. He wasn't born in 1961 in Cleveland, Ohio. But I am blonde. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio in 1961. And whether you believe it or not, it doesn't change anything. I am who I am in my essence as God is. And as the heavens are above the earth, so is God. God's ways so above us. So it's important to understand that God is triune in nature. And he reveals it here in chapter 1. When Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke and said, This is my Son. The Holy Spirit appeared in a form like a dove, and Jesus came out of the water. The three distinct persons of God within one. But, you know, look at the Old Testament. God says, I am the Lord, there is no other. So God is called a uniplural noun. God is compound unity within one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we even see that in the book of Revelation in the heavenly scene. By faith, we believe that because that's exactly who he is in his essence. In the beginning, God, God who is triune. His essence, who he is. Your essence, you're a male, you're a female, okay? Your DNA, your essence of who you are. God is triune in his nature. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, that last thing it talks about, there's so many triune verses in the Bible, but it talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the closing benediction. And we just get it time and time again. And I, when I was a kid being raised Catholic, I used to lay in bed and think about like, well, how is God triune and who made God? And why? But I believe. You can't answer those questions. Because as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways and thoughts above us. The, th- the secret things belong to the Lord, including the fullness of who he is. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. And Genesis 1 belongs to us and to our children. Now, also, God is not only triune, but he's outside of our dimension. So when we think about the human experience, we can think linear. Okay, dawn of creation 6,000 years ago, six-day creation, and you know, 1,500 years of primeval world, Noah and the flood, post-flood is the ice age, 500 years, here comes Abraham out of the Fertile Crescent, Iraq, Iran area, and Abraham goes to Canaan, modern Israel. Then that's around 2000 B.C., Job lives about the same time. Then 1500 B.C. comes Moses, the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And then the book of Judges, David's around 1000 B.C., time of Jesus, first thousand years of the church age, and then, you know, Charlemagne, all that kind of stuff. And then Magna Carta, 1200, you know, in the U.K., and you just, you just go there. And then the Reformation period, it just goes on and on into our present day. So we have about a 6,000-year timeline, and watching the Huntington Beach 4th of July parade the other day, 
you know, we rode our bikes and we came up this way and then went all the way to Yorktown and Main Street where the parade ends and we went around that. That's the end of the parade. And then we rode the backside uh, by the church there and came out by uh, 17th Street and we came up on the backside of the parade. The last thing in the parade I can tell you was the Huntington Beach High School marching band. And then there was like the, the Mexican dancers. It's really cool. And then there's little mini cars where the guys in little mini cars. And that's the end of the parade. That's linear. See, Human history is like that Huntington Beach Parade. The front end's here, Adam, and the back end's here, maybe us, or our grandkids. But it's linear. But God's like that plane or the helicopter above it. He's outside of it. So it's not like God existed before the parade, like at some point, nothing, and then God becomes the parade, and he's the front of the parade. Or, he's, or the kingdom of God is like, there's more things added to the back of the parade after Huntington Beach High School marching band. No. See, eternity is outside this dimension. It's not in this parade dimension. It's not linear. When you step into eternity, we're stepping into another dimension. That's why Stephen could be passing in this dimension, being stoned and put to death by people executing him while seeing Jesus stand at the same time in the next dimension he's going to. He was transcending dimensions. That's how the chariot of fire can come for Elijah. That chariot of fire is coming out. It's God's holy fire coming out of the dimension of eternity. It's opening up, taking him in time, space, and matter. The coat falls off of him. That's real enough. Elijah takes his coat, right? Real enough. But then Elijah goes up and the curtains close. And God's holy cloud takes him in and he transcends dimensions. He just goes right through it. Like when Jesus shows up in the room in his resurrected body. And then he leaves the room in his resurrected body. His body was multidimensional in his resurrection, though it was still his physical body because Thomas could touch the nail wounds where he was crucified. If we limit our thinking of origin and our purpose of life and our knowledge of God to our linear thinking like the Huntington Beach Fourth of July Parade, we are doing God a great disservice. We need to receive it face value and understand who he is, the way he is, that he's all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, and he cares about the hairs on your head, and he loves you so much he sent his son to die for you, which is a lot more than any of us, I think, would ever do. By this we know love that Christ died for us while we're yet sinners. So God who's outside our linear time that we see it, spoke it in existence. So he's of another dimension. He speaks time, space, and matter in existence. And there it is. Time, space, matter. And we're still rolling along. After Adam's sin, the universe is dying as it's expanding. That's why our sun's not getting brighter. It's getting cooler. That's entropy. And Romans 8 tells us that the whole universe is dying because of Adam's sin. The same reason I'm dying. The same reason I look like I look at 58 and not like when I looked at 18 is the same reason the universe is dying as it's expanding, however far it's expanding. Entropy is a result of sin. Death entered through Adam and it affects all the universe. But not here in chapter 1, it's all good. But God is outside this dimension. He's triune and he speaks it. Then we see he created the heavens and the earth, right? So he is the creator. Again, I've covered this, so I don't need to belabor the point. But he spoke it and he made it happen. He just doesn't take Legos and put them together. He speaks the Legos and puts them together. We can recreate with things that God has made. We can build a Jeep and send it to Mars, although it broke down, right? But we can do some amazing things. God speaks it. Don't you worry about the redemption of this planet. All the species that have gone extinct, all the damage done to the ocean, the atmosphere, all these things. Don't lose sleep over that. It is a stewardship, so value what God values. I value life. I rescue spiders, like I said. I do. I just rescued a couple last week, you know, like value. I value life. God's into life. You should be into life too, and I think most of you are. He's going to redeem it all, and he's outside of it, and he's spoken into existence, and he created it. 
And sometimes I think, Lord, why flies? They all have a purpose. Every little insect, everything, it all has a purpose. And he created it. And when he created it, it was all good. As much as flies bug me, I had a fly bugging me today. It didn't bug Adam in chapter one. In chapter two, he's like, oh, fly, you're a fly. Oh, and the fly's like, you're a fly. You're not annoying. You're not doing gross things that flies do. It's a happy fly. Everything's good. That's the way it was. And it reflects him because it's all good. And the closing pitch, it's very good. It's all good because God is good. You know, and of course, everything's uh, vegetarian, right? Too. So all the animals are herbivores as were human beings. There's no, no one's eating anyone because that's death. And plants die, but they don't die like the consequence of sin because they reproduce when they die. They bring forth the seeds. No one's eating anyone. You know, when I was a kid growing up in Quantico, I always remember Wonderful World of Disney was on on Saturday nights. If you're old enough to remember this, it was Wonderful World of Disney. And then it was Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And I never liked Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom because I didn't like to see lions eating antelopes. I've never liked anything like that. It makes me sick. Like, I just, I just don't like anything like that. But that's, and I'm okay I don't like that because God doesn't like that either. Why do you think in the Millennial Kingdom he says the lion's going to lay down with the, the lamb? Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom is going to look a lot different in the millennium. It's like going to look a lot different. Like, and here is this lion hanging out with this cobra and this kid's petting them both. See, that's a restoration moving toward what was lost glory. So keep that in mind. So God created everything, and he didn't work through evolution. There is no such thing as evolution. It's a lie. There's animal adaptation, which is different. That's you getting smart at work when you got a new boss. It's almost like animal adaptation. you got a new boss, you got to tighten the line. God has designed animals to do things horizontally, but not vertically. A dog's always a dog, and a cat's always a cat. There's no dats and dats and cogs. It's just, they don't exist. They don't exist. And God does funny stuff like platypuses just to throw those kind of people that think they're smart something to think about so they can know they're stupid. It is what it is. And you try and put God in a box and he'll tell you to get your tax money from the mouth of a fish. So be careful. God catches the wise in their own craftiness. And the foolishness of God is wiser than the, the wisdom of men, as it says in Corinthians. Now, the last thing I want to close with here, and this is really important because we are made in his image, so we have the capacity to worship him. In Ecclesiastes 3, it says that he's put eternity in our hearts. And there in chapter 3, that famous, you know, to everything turn, turn, the famous song from the birds in the 60s, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. And later on in that chapter, the Holy Spirit says through Solomon at the end of his life that God has put eternity in our hearts. See, God has not put eternity in my dog's hearts or in my cat's heart. He's put fear in them. They don't like fireworks. That's very clear, okay? And instincts, but he hasn't put eternity in their hearts. But he's put eternity in our hearts. And that's why Romans 1 says that he's revealed himself through creation, and he should be worshipped just by our basis of understanding his revelation through creation. But people reject him as a creator, and they're given over to a depraved mind, a depraved heart, and they go nuts, and they're under his wrath. Because he holds them accountable to look at creation and know that there's order behind it, and he's the God of order. Not intelligent design, way more intelligent design. God of the universe who sent his son to die on the cross. Intelligent design could be anything. It's like a, it's like a higher power thing. I got intelligent design. Intelligent design is everything was made by Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, and held together in Jesus Christ. That's my ID, okay? And if you want to present intelligent design, which is a buzzword in you know, trying to build bridges with people who aren't interested in believing, as a whole, most of them. Listen, man, Jesus Christ didn't die so we could preach intelligent design. Jesus Christ died on the cross so we could preach the blood of the Lamb, which is the only thing that can save us from our sins. But look at here, verse 28. 
were made in his image to worship him and know him. Verse 28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion. And then he said, I've given you all this in verse 29. And it was very good. See, in all that God did in creation, he's a blessing God. God wants to bless us. He sent his son to bless us. God's a blessing God. Some people understand that God's a blessing God more than other people. Some people get a kind of a twisted concept of God, like God just got, can't wait to just level you with the, the heavenly hammer. He leveled his son on the cross with the heavenly hammer. He's a blessing God. God is a blessing God. It says here in the dawn of creation concerning the first human being and his wife, God blessed them. Now, David had a heart for God, we're told. And, God, and David said this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Trust in the Lord. God is good. When I consider the heavens, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you consider him? God is good. And everything God wants to do in our life is good. And, and everything is good. His mercies are good. His judgments are good. His grace is good. Everything about God is good. There is nothing bad about God. Not 99.9%. It, with 0.01% or 0.001% is bad with God. God is light, and him is no darkness at all. And everything about God is good. And he created us to bless us. And this chapter 1 is blessings. This is man and woman together with God in a vegetarian world where no one's eating each other, and everyone's happy. And even the flies are singing zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. It's, it's, this is how it began. And what we walk out and see outside these doors is, is temporal. It won't end this way. It'll be restored better than all this. I don't worry about, I get upset when I think about things that are extinct on the planet. Because again, I love animals and I love life. So when my wild animal partner says, this is the last white rhino, I'm like, oh God, you know, like, you know, like, but what do men do? They hunt and they conquer and they kill. You know, they did it with the dinosaurs, the dragons, and they just, you know, so many things getting extinct, but I don't worry about it because God who made all those things, he'll just make them again. He'll just make them again. You might give them new colors too. Look, a rainbow tiger. He's not limited. He's the same yesterday and forever. And he's a blessing God. And everything he wants to do from the dawn of creation is to bless humanity, to receive his love, to return his love, and to know his love. And he sent his son to die on the cross so that all humanity under the great commission of the church could know how much of a blessing God he is. Because like Paul said in Romans, scarcely will a good man die for someone else, let alone for a wicked man. But God showed his love for us and that while we we're yet sinners and enemies of God, Christ came and died on the cross for us. He's a blessing God. When he makes covenants, he blesses. So this covenant, the Adamic covenant, he's a blessing God. When Noah came off the ark, what's it say? He blessed Noah. He's a blessing God. When God called Abraham to go to Ur Chaldeans, what did he say? I'm going to bless you. Now I'm going to bless you. In your seed, I'm going to bless the entire planet. Those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. He's a blessing God. When he brought them to Mount Sinai, he pronounced blessings upon them. You're my own special people, a treasure to my heart. He pronounced blessings on them. And when Jesus instituted the Lord's communion on that last night before he went to the cross, he pronounced blessings on them. Take, eat. Break, this is my body given for you. He pronounced the blessings. When Paul preached throughout the book of Acts, along with Peter, they preached to people who didn't even know the background of the Lord who, with all their pagan and false beliefs. And he said, God blessed you. He gave you rain. He gave you food. He gave you good stuff. He's a blessing God. But now he's giving you a son so you can be fully blessed and know the fullness of all the blessings. He, the rain's on the just and the unjust. He's a blessing God. 
In him we live and move and have our being, Paul declared to the Athenians. He's a blessing God. It's an irony that God blesses people with the breath that they can curse him and deny him and blaspheme against him. But he's a blessing God. He's going to bless us, and he has blessed us. He blesses us in the infirmities. He blesses us in the trials and the tribulations and tragedies. Through faith in Jesus Christ, he brings all the blessings upon us because in Jesus Christ, all things work together for good. And so he's a blessing God, and we receive the blessings. We say yes and amen to the blessings. From chapter 1 of Genesis, it declares God speaks from the throne room. I'm a blessing God. And God said through Moses and others, choose blessings or curses. You can, you choose, you self-determine if you want to be under all those blessings for your life, for your marriage, for your college experience, for your career, for your adult children, for your grandchildren. We choose if we want to be under the blessings because we choose the blessings by choosing Jesus Christ and submitting him daily and his call in our life. As we die to ourselves daily, we receive the blessings of the life we have in Christ. He's a blessing God. Jesus, the universe was created to bless man. And Jesus came to redeem it. And he's a blessing God. So tonight as we begin this journey in Genesis, I want to say to you, receive the blessings. Believe the blessings. Because God is good. And don't get skewed concepts concerning God. God is good and him is light and there is no darkness at all. So receive the blessings. Receive the blessings for your, for your life, for your health. For your perseverance through failing health, through perseverance through facing down the grave, receive the blessings. For all the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yes and amen. And there's no shadow of turning from the Father of lights. He blessed this universe when he created it. And in spite of our head of the race, Adam, bringing curses, when we trust in Jesus Christ and we believe his promises, we wake up to those blessings and we can believe those blessings on our life. We can pronounce those blessings on our life and we can frame everything that happens in our life, good, bad, and ugly, through the blessings of the filter of the living God who gave his son for us. And can I get a witness? Amen.